Who here has ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? It's a question that we should ask ourselves. It's meant to keep us on the right track, so to speak. But all too often, this question paralyzes believers, leaving them in sheer terror as terrified souls worry themselves sick about making the wrong decision and consequently missing out on God's will for their lives. That if you make the wrong decision, that means that when you hit a deer with your car going to a place you shouldn't have been going to, and it's totaled, that that is God's judgment for being outside his will. And it's no one's fault but yours. You should have known better. Or if you make the right decision, however, you find yourself protected from all harm and everything goes your way, everything goes well for you. You won't be sick. Your loved ones won't die. You'll never have to worry about equipment breaking down or deer running in front of your vehicle. That's how we tend to think about God's will for our lives, isn't it? We hear the phrase, there's no safer place to be than in the, in the world than in the center of God's will. So you better be sure that you are smack dab in the middle of his will. And so we ask ourselves the question, what is God's will for me? What's God's will for my life? And what does it mean if you aren't in God's will? What if I were to tell you today that you can know with 100% certainty what God's will for your life is? Would you believe me? Because you can know. And you should believe me. Not because I said it, but because God tells us his will for our lives in his word. I'll invite you to open your Bibles with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7 as I read verses 9 through 11, and listen to what God's will is for you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. And I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 11, reading in Jesus' name. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. But repay those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. Father God, these are your words and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, that you'd open our eyes to see your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. God's will for me is my choice. We tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And myself included, I'm right along with those of us who do. From the time that we are born, we have this inner belief that the world around us revolves around me. It doesn't matter if your parents are busy, if you're uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if you're in a place where you're supposed to be quiet. If you're uncomfortable, you make that known to everyone around you. Parents have the joy and the responsibility of teaching their kids that the world doesn't really revolve around them. That parents might bend over backwards to please their kids whenever they can, but eventually they find out that teachers don't. They'll find out employers don't. The law doesn't. The world won't either. And the sooner we all learn this, the better off will be. This me-centered ideology isn't just found in kids, and the tension isn't just found in the outside world. It's our own human nature, 
And we find it in Christianity as well. We bring this ideology here in these walls. We bring this ideology here with my relationship with the Lord. A friend of mine says we're addicted to ourselves, and I think he's onto something there. A prime example is this question of what is God's will for my life? I've asked that question numerous times, again and again and again. And how often do I ask the question, what is God's will for my neighbor's life? I'm focused on me. And for those of you who have asked yourself this question, what's God's will for my life? My question for you is, where have you gone to try to find it? Where do you search? Do you search into your own feelings? Do you put together a list of pros and cons and see which choice would make you feel better about yourself? Do you look into your own heart? Or do you find yourself away in the woods in some meditation experience that somehow, some way, taps you into the secret knowledge of God and how your life should play itself out? Or do you look to the Word of God and His guidance? And when you look to the Word of God, are you reading it for what it says, or are you trying to find some hidden meaning meaning written thousands of years ago just for you in this moment, in this situation that you find yourself in. If you could just find the pattern of Scripture for your life, the secret knowledge, the secret words, the different phrases to pull out, then the secrets of your future will be unlocked and all of your questions will be answered. So the idea is a little ridiculous, isn't it? It sounds a little silly, I hope so. But you know, I still do that. We still do that. Case in point here, an example for you. A few years ago, I was an intern serving at a congregation. And I had a couple of different interviews lined up at churches where I would go to an interview and see if they would want to call me as a pastor. I'm here, so there's one church. And I went to another church. And another church also called me to be their pastor. And I was wrestling back and forth, trying to figure out, God, what is your will for my life? And in my devotions, I came along this phrase, and they came to Elam. The name of the other church was Elam Lutheran Church. Is that passage about where I should go to serve the Lord? If so, I'm sinning standing before you right now. But praise God, that passage is not about where I should serve as a pastor, but that passage is about what God is doing in history, what God has done. So this idea is a little ridiculous that if we read between the lines of Scripture, we'll find God's secret will for our life. As we look at verses 9 through 10 in our text, we still see this, pass, or this idea that we bring to the text. The verses say this, Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate them to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with, them, with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. So the question comes, what do we do with these verses? How do we apply these verses? The temptation for us is to boil this idea down to your choice. How do you want your life to play itself out? Do you want to have an easy life? Then follow the Lord and he'll be faithful to you. Do you want to have a hard life? Then don't follow the Lord and hate him and he will hate you. The choice is yours, so what is it going to be? Are you going to obey him or are you going to hate him? That's often how we look at finding God's will for our lives. 
that if we make the wrong choice, the only thing we can expect is God's wrath and judgment, that he is continually going to punish us because we made the wrong decision. If we want to experience God's goodness, then we had better make sure that we make the right choice. Do you see how paralyzing this idea is? How can we even begin to decide what we should do with our life if a life and death, if it's a life and death situation? If I pick the wrong job, if I pick the wrong college, if I pick the wrong spouse, if I pick the wrong extracurricular activity, if I pick the wrong hairstylist, you name it, the list goes on and on and on, then I will forever have to pay the consequences of dealing with a hateful God because I chose poorly. We treat God as though he were some deity in the sky who is just waiting to zap us with a lightning bolt whenever we make the wrong choice. And the problem is with this idea and the good news is that we are wrong. That that is not who God is and that is not how God acts. And these verses that are given to us here are not for us to decide how do you want your life to turn out. Do you want to be in God's favor or do you want to be in God, under God's wrath? God's will for your life isn't to choose your own adventure story. He doesn't stand with his arm cocked just waiting to launch a lightning bolt in your direction whenever you mess up. So the question comes, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for me? God's will for you is to be saved. His will for you is salvation. God's will for me is salvation. Going back to verses 9 and 10, our me-centeredness tends to look at the role that we play here. And as we look at this text and as we see, okay, what action is God calling me to here? When we ask ourselves the question, what should I do? We completely ignore and overlook all that God has done. And verse 9 is all about what God has done for us. It tells us of a faithful God who keeps his covenant in loving kindness or steadfast love to a thousandth generation. And that's an artful way of saying that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It's not going to run out at generation 1001. God's love endures forever. Look back at verses 6 through 8 here in our text and see what God says. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king, of Egypt. Before we even get to the passage talking about how we are to respond to the Lord, either loving him or hating him, we need to see first his love for us. We need to see what he has done for us. Before we even ask the question, what would God have me do? We need to first see what God has already done. God has chosen a people to be holy, a people for his own possession. And verse 7 points out that God chose this people not because of what they had to offer, not because someday they might do something great for the Lord, not because of their size. The text says, for they were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, God says, you were insignificant, but I have called you to be my own. What does the text say here? 
but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. It was because of his love for you that you even get to ask yourself the question, what is God's will for my life? As Moses records the word of God here, he's pointing to an audience that had been redeemed from the house of slavery, redeemed from the hand of Pharaoh. And now we're met with a crucial question. Who are these holy people? Who are the people for God's own possession? On whom did God pour out his love? Who does God keep his oath to? Looking at the text in its context and taking it in its context here, God is talking to the Israelites who were delivered from Egypt. And so the question comes, have you been delivered from Egypt? Are you the person that Moses is referring to? Another way to ask this question is, is this passage to you? This doesn't calm our fears, does it? This doesn't answer our question. It doesn't give us much hope. So ultimately, the question we need to ask is, God reveals here in, this, in his word that he chose those on whom he set his love. And so the question comes, does God love me? It's a life or death question. Has the Lord set his love on me? And the answer to this question reveals to you God's will for your life. So where do we go to find this answer? Do we look into the events that have happened in our lives in the past five years, the past week? Or do we look to what Scripture says? We look to what Scripture says. Can we say for certain that God loves me? And if so, how can we say that? How can we know for sure that God loves us? How can you know for sure that God has chosen you? It sounds a little arrogant, and it sounds a little presumptuous to just say, God has chosen me. I am a chosen one, doesn't it? So the answer, where do we go to find this answer? And the answer to these questions, does God love me? Has God chosen me? Did God set his love on me? We look to God's word, which reveals to us over and over and over again the answer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. A question we need to ask ourselves as we look at this verse here. For God so loved the world that he did something. He acted. He loved the world in this way and that he acted and he sent his son. Historical question for you. Did God send his son, Jesus Christ, in this world? Was Jesus Christ a historical person? Then does God love you? Yes, based on God's word, we can say definitively that he loves you. Passages of scripture continue on. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, and we already know that Jesus was a physical, real, true person who lived here. That God has sent the son into this world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The question we need to ask ourselves now, after we acknowledge that he is a true living human being, he 
historically walked on this earth is did Jesus historically die? You have numerous eyewitness accounts in Scripture that tell us Jesus lived and Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? To fulfill this passage of Scripture that God would show his love for you and that he would be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. Again, this is an objective truth. It doesn't matter what happened, the events of your lives that have happened. It doesn't matter if you hit a deer with your car or not. Does God love you? You look at his word and you find the answer. Another passage, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you could do anything right, before you could do anything wrong, Christ died for you to show his love for you. Does God love you? The answer isn't found by looking inside of ourselves. The answer is found to looking to the inerrant word of God. And another passage, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. You are all sons of God. Through what? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And the very next line there says, for all who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ and we are united with Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant. And the promises of scripture apply to you as well. Another verse, he chose us in him. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. When did this action take place? Before the foundation of the world. Before God said, let there be light, this action took place. Before God said, let there be the earth, the stars, and everything in it, God chose you to be saved. And for what purpose? For what reason? Because of our actions? Because of what we could someday do for God? Because of his love for you. Another question, does God love you? And how do we know? We know by God's word the answer to this question. It is a definitive yes. And so what is God's will for your life? He tells us again in scripture, God desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For all people to be saved, this is God's will for your life. As you are a living, breathing human being, God's will for your life, first and foremost, is that you are saved. And I could go on with verse after verse after verse, but I think you're beginning to get the picture. Does God love you? And how do you know? If you try to interpret the events in your life to answer this question, you are going to be miserable. And you are never going to have a definitive answer. And every trial and every affliction that comes your way, you're going to interpret as God's wrath, God's judgment on you, making it clear to you that you are outside of God's will and that God hates you. Now, I don't want to overlook verse 10 in our text here. 
It's definitely a stern warning, and I am not writing it off. It's true. God will not delay with him who hates him, and he will repay those who hate him to their face. And this doesn't mean that God can't wait to dish out punishment or judgment on you. This doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens in your life is God hating you or God pouring out his wrath on you. The verses that I just read declare to you that God has already dealt with your sin. So when you find yourself hating and disobeying God, it doesn't mean there is no hope. All hope is lost. But confess your sin and look again to the question we see in Scripture. Does God love me? How can I know? And we can ask ourselves the question, will God forgive me? How can I know? Because Christ has already dealt with it and paid for it. Look again to God's steadfast love. Go back to the objective truth of God's word, which is true all the time. What does God's word say? The song that you learned when you were a child tells you, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And praise God for that. It is a resounding yes. Because of his love for you, his will for you is to believe in Jesus and to be saved. And he has done everything needed to make that happen. You might say to yourself, yeah, but pastor, this doesn't really help me make that big decision that I need to make. This doesn't help me pick what school to go to, what job to pursue, who to marry, what car to buy, what house to buy, what community to live in, who to vote for, and the list can go on and on and on. It doesn't help. No, there is no tiny, still, small voice that tells you today what shirt you are to wear. There is no still, small voice that tells you who you are to marry. There's no still small voice that tells you which path you should take to church today or how you should spend every penny of every dollar that you have or where you are to live your life. But based on God's word, we do know that our status before God, that our being in the center of his will, doesn't depend on these things. But it depends entirely and completely on what God has done for you. And the fact that Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God the Father. And if you want to know the specific will that God has for your life, and all the little and all the big decisions you face, then I invite you to keep reading the text in verse 11. Verse 11 says this, Therefore you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. This is God's will for your life. First and foremost, that you trust in Jesus and you are saved. And secondly, God's will for you is to obey him. God's will for our lives is obedience. And how do we know what his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments are that he is commanding us? He has revealed them to us in his word. How will we know these things if we never pick up his word and we never read his word? God has given us his word first and foremost that we might know what he has done to save us and that we would be saved. But in his word, he also tells us how we are to love and to serve our neighbors, how we are to live out our lives based on his holy will. It tells us we are to love God above all things and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It guides our actions and decisions as we see God's holy will. God's will for you is to be saved. 
and to obey him. And when the law of God comes to us and reveals to us that we have fallen short, when the law of God comes to us and we see that we have disobeyed God, and that there may be times in our lives where we hate God for whatever situations that we are going through, God's will for you is to repent and to trust again in what he has already done in order to save you and to forgive you. God's will for you is to find your security and your salvation not in the events of our lives. God's will for you is to see his will for you from Scripture, that he loves you, he died for you, he wants you to be saved, and he wants you to obey him. And so I would invite you this morning to open up God's word and to see his will for your life. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you that your will for our lives isn't some finite dot that if we miss it, Lord, the rest of our life is doomed. That your will for our lives is that we are saved by grace through faith, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That your will for our lives is that we would know that you love us, that we would trust in you. Lord, also that your will for our lives is that we would obey you. Help us, Father, to obey you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have given us. And Father, for the times when we disobey you, for the times where we may even hate you, I pray that you would cause us to come back to you in repentance, to confess that sin, and to find forgiveness in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.